0: guest for this episode of what if is the people's professor brian cox who not only has made physics and astronomy so relatable for all different types of people but he's a former musician with a hit record He also co-hosts the hugely successful podcast, The Infinite Monkey
1: Cage. Oh, we love that, don't we? Love it.
0: We always listen to it. We do,
1: when we're up in Scotland, when we're going up. On the drive. On the drive. You You like, yeah,
0: I was about to say, you always say that I drive. No, (laughs) you drive, (laughs) but you don't. You do the driving, but we both do the listening. It is a fantastic uh, podcast, isn't it? Yeah. Welcome, Brian. It's so lovely to see you. Hello.
1: Wonderful to be here.
0: Oh, it's so good. We're
1: so looking forward to it. We're so excited.
0: Mum's wearing a NASA hoodie. But totally by coincidence, I, I know. Think. Because that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> and I am a geek. I feel like I should have dressed up. You should have worn your um, jumpsuit that you wore. Yeah. Oh. Not in space, because you haven't gone to space, obviously, but you no. wore in a plane to go.
1: It's oh. when I went for astronaut training in, a- in NASA.
2: Oh. I just thought I'd just drop that in there. <laughs> Did you did you do the zero g flight?
1: It was fantastic. I had the best time. Yeah, I did that flight where you're weightless. Oh, Brian, that was. Have just, you done that? Amazing. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, great? we filmed it. Yeah, I it's remember? The most oh, cool.
2: Incredible thing. And because we were supposed to be, you know, filming and being professional, and I was supposed to be talking about uh, 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 some sort of the, the observation of Einstein. Actually, it's the, the basis of Einstein's theory of relativity that when you're freely falling. So from one perspective, you're falling towards the earth inside that plane, but inside the plane, as you, as you felt, you're completely weightless. Yeah. Gravity has gone away. And that was the, the this key insight. Of, so I was trying to explain this really beautiful but complicated bit of physics, but we just laughed all the time <laughs> because you know, it's, it's a remarkable <laughs> thing, isn't it? Just it was brilliant. Being weightless.
1: I know. I was eating sweeties that were floating in the air and I was tumbling, as we say in Scotland, tumbling over your Wilkies. I was doing yeah. like burls and everything. Oh, it was just, it was the best, best thing ever. Mm. It was the best thing ever.
0: Um, apologies in advance we are going to ask you some very silly questions yes. you've probably been asked a million times but um we'll get into that a bit later um, do you ever get a bit exasperated with people asking you you know what's a black hole or what's the meaning of life or anything because like you are the go-to guy
2: well it's nice for you to say so no I, I mean I, because you know I the, one of the reasons I went into um publicizing science rather than just doing it was that um, a lot of us had realized that um, everybody I think virtually everybody that we meet is interested at some level like you say mm. it, it might be what's the meaning of life or what's a black hole or what is gravity or are we alone in the universe all these questions um, but uh, we, we we, a lot of us felt that, that there was no conversation in public about it you know there there was not a lot of science if you go back 15 years or so in the on television or on the radio or something there wasn't a lot of science there there were wonderful things like the sky at night and uh you know carl sagan's cosmos if you go back a few decades but but not a great deal of science and so one of the reasons i i went into talking about science was that conviction that people are interested but there was not a lot of conversation going on so given that then i i can't be Upset, and I'm not upset. (laughs) You know, if if then people start asking questions of me and other scientists, that's what that's that's the point. Yeah, that's that's what um, everybody wanted to happen.
1: No, absolutely, it's about being curious, isn't it? You mentioned Carl Sagan there, and we, I mean, he was. Such an incredible man. Um, that book, Cosmos. Do you know, you, you sort of wonder what if he hadn't written that book? Um, certainly, you know, people like you, um, people like me may not have got so involved and so interested in this whole concept and in in all of these great big questions that, that Rosie was just talking about.
2: Yeah, it was It was huge. It made a huge impact on me, actually, because um, for those listeners who are not quite as... A, Mature as <laughs> me then a uh, cosmos. It was on television. I think it was 1980. And, and as I said, at the time, there wasn't a great deal of science on television. And I was 12 years old. And suddenly, for 13 weeks, 13 episodes, then... um Carl Sagan, who to me is the the, the greatest communicator of science that that, uh, that I've ever witnessed, anyway, he would be talking not only about astronomy and describing the the you know the the, the strangeness of the moons of Jupiter or talking about galaxies beyond the Milky Way, but also he talked about why it matters, why astronomy matters, why having a, a wider perspective on our existence in this vast, potentially infinite universe matters, and, and what difference it would make if we spent a little bit, just a tiny bit more time thinking about our place in the universe. And, and I, I found it completely captivating and compelling. And from Almost from that moment in 1980, um, I, I thought, I, I want to... I want to work at NASA, or I want to do something. I want to be involved in exploring planets. And uh, I wrote to NASA. Actually, I wrote to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, um, and, and it was uh, it was kind of this I don't know this this place that I couldn't couldn't imagine. You know, the place where they built the spacecraft that went out to the farthest reaches of the solar system. And I wrote to them after Cosmos, and they wrote back, and they sent me photographs of. Um, Jupiter and Saturn and some photographs from the surface of Mars, which I still have. And um, when I I visited Jet Photos, I I visited a few times, actually, I've been really lucky. And last time I took those photographs back and said, look, you replied to this little boy in Oldham Mm. in 1980. And that's one of the reasons that I'm here today. It's one of the reasons I went into science.
1: You're, they're very good at that, though. That's the thing, and that's the thing with what you do, because that's you know the way that Carol Sagan inspired you, inspired me, inspired so many people. That's what you're doing, isn't it? Mm.
2: I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, as you said, it's in some ways it's, it's not so difficult because I think you're right. Everybody is interested in these questions. I think what many people don't make the link to science, so they think, you know, I think most of us, if we go out on a clear night and look at the stars and, and we see that it's beautiful and maybe we have a thought about what are those little points of light in the sky, what would it be like to to go out to those stars? But the fact that we are exploring that with telescopes and space probes, and the fact that some of these questions, even... You know the, the question: Are we alone in the universe? For example, it, even those questions we're beginning to try and answer now, uh, using science, using the tools of science. And I think that's the bit that is where the communication comes in. It's I think the inspiration, the the you know the, the idea that everybody, or most people, are attracted to those questions. That's that's already there. Mm-hmm. Then it's making an extra link to say, actually, we, we know some of the answers to these questions. Are we're making these remarkable efforts to find the answers.
1: And what we need, though, is um, is younger people to get interested in this. I mean, we, we are bombarded with information in a way that we never were before. Um, you know, the, with the news cycle and with the 24 hours and with the, you know, constantly on phones and getting all of this information all the time, sometimes you don't, Which in some ways is great, but sometimes you don't have time to just actually step back and say, what is it all about? And I need to find that out. You know, I need to find out more about this and also to get more young people, especially girls. You think that starts
0: at school, though, rather than...
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Mm. And I think, I mean, at school, you didn't really get... Oh, I was terrible. Yeah, but you terrible. were no, but you weren't because you were interested. It was just like if you'd had Brian as a
2: teacher.
0: Oh my god, it would have been. I com- can be an astronaut <laughs> right now. <laughs> it would have been what? completely different. We could be now. doing this from space.
2: <laughs> it's funny there because what, what what do you mean by by terrible like, though? I
0: I think, I mean, I had I had a lovely teacher, but I think it was just I don't know if the way it was taught. It was all textbook. There was no like I see now on like I don't know you know instagram and i'm not on tiktok but i see videos of like physics teachers doing these mental experiments in classrooms i didn't i didn't really get any of that and they're like setting things on fire and i'm like that happened they <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe really I'm good at it yeah. but i think i don't know i was just i was just really rubbish at science i didn't have that natural thing of I was interested, yeah. but...
1: But don't you think there's a little bit of us, and I'm sure you would come across this, Brian, where people are a little bit frightened? Yeah. Maybe, especially when you're young and you're like, you maybe don't want to ask those questions in class. They might ask you, especially when you do your amazing big tours and people can ask you questions. Um, there's well, like now, about.
0: I would love to go to a lecture. Yeah. Whereas when I was 16... Couldn't think of anything worse. I don't think because I was. It was maybe growing up. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. But it's getting people
1: interested in, it, isn't it, Brian? It's getting people, especially like I say, young people. That's why you're doing such a brilliant job in in making it so accessible.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's two bits, isn't there? As you said, yeah. there's, there's there's being interested and being inspired. Mm. And mm. I, I think you're. Uh, I I hear that a lot actually. When I if I go into schools and and, and there are some. Um, Students, you know, say, "Well, I, I don't know. I'm not very good at this," and then um, I always say that I, I wasn't very good at it either. Actually, I mean, I actually found really? math, maths quite, quite difficult in the sense that I, I realised I had to practice, mm-hmm. at it. and it's. But then I often liken that to playing a musical instrument, playing the piano, for example. That n- nobody expects to sit down and just play the piano. Mm. You know, we, we all, we all understand that well you know unless you're mozart or something like that <laughs> or th- then then you have to sit down and do some practice and then it comes to you and and you, you you get more more fluent and i think honestly it's the same with with maths and with science and that's one of the messages the it's it's taking that inspiration and that interest and and that fascination with these deep questions And then just doing the little bit of practice that allows you to learn the language. And then it gets more and more fascinating and more and more, you know, a a much more enjoyable thing to do when you've done a bit of practice. Mm. So I always say that and I, I always tell the story, actually. There's a really famous story of Einstein. So we'd all think that Einstein was good at science, right? Yeah. <laughs> Naturally, somehow. <laughs> it's just, he is the symbol of being good at science, isn't he? Einstein. But there's a very famous story that he went to, into a school and he gave a talk. And he started the talk by saying, you know, that when I was your age, I was no Einstein. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and he really meant it. Yeah. He, you know, and and he wasn't actually, there's lots of stories and it's all, you know, there's a Thousand biographies of Einstein now, but I think it does seem to be the case that he wasn't considered to be by his teachers, and to, he wasn't considered to be some kind of genius, someone who was going to change the way that we look at the world. um But he 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 got it. He was interested, and he obviously had a you know this remarkable brain. But he he also had to practice and and do some work, and he and and famously. Uh, is, so his theory of gravity—we just mentioned it, really—you yeah. uh, know the zero G flight mm. and these wonderful ideas. Uh, th- he had this this idea. He called it the happiest thought of his life, and I think it was 1907 when he had this happiest thought that when you're falling, as as you experienced and I experienced in that zero G flight, then gravity has been switched off; it's gone away. And he called that the happiest thought of his life. 1907. He didn't publish the theory of that until 1915. So it took him took him seven or eight years from mm. having the idea yeah. to actually doing the maths <laughs> right, and working <laughs> out what that meant. So that's real persistence.
1: It yeah. just
2: worked and worked and worked.
1: And mm. you, have, you have to do that. You have, yeah. you have to do that. You've kind of made it, you know how um, sometimes people who are, are geeks, um, it's not cool, but it is now. I mean, you look at something like, what's mm. that TV show in America that's the most, the big bang? Oh, bang back
0: theory, yeah. Big Bang Theory, yeah, the theory. Big Bang
1: Theory. I mean, that was the most successful sitcom ever, and I think people by osmosis probably while they were laughing, they were they were sort of learning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> which is good. Yeah. It's the same with you with your with your lectures and books and TV series. It's that thing of yes, you're being absolutely entertained, but you're absorbing like a little sponge, absorbing all this knowledge too.
2: Yeah, I think it, you're right. I think it's cool. It's cool to be a geek. Yeah, now, isn't <laughs> I think I, I hope so. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's funny actually. You say that because it's one of those words, isn't it? I remember I've never said this actually. So, um, but I, I'll tell you a secret about Ooh. the about the BBC. <laughs> right. So, but when we we do this Radio Four show now, it's got the Infinite Monkey Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone yeah of course. Says, Why is it called the Infinite Monkey Cage? And it was my friend Robin Inns who came up with the name, but but why why would you come up with that name? And it it's honestly it was because when we went in, there was this idea to do a science show on, on Radio 4. As we've spoken about, there wasn't that much science there mm-hmm. at the time. And they said, We're gonna do it and we're gonna call it Top Geek. <laughs> and we said, No, 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 you're not. And they said, No, we are. And we said, No, really, we're not. <laughs> we're not calling. It. And so they was like, Well, what do you what do you want to call it then? And Robin just said the infinite monkey cage. Or he had his looking at Euclid, which I thought was brilliant actually as well. <laughs> but we <laughs> we ended up calling it the Infinite Monkey Cage. Oh,
0: top Geek, I think. Top you Geek, know that. Yeah, yeah, I can I, imagine. I, I quite like that. I, you could have had Top Geek. You like it?
1: It's, it's so silly. It's so silly. But no, I think I think the the title that you've got, the Infinite Monkey Cage, is probably yeah. better. I, yeah, more intriguing. It's
0: yeah, it's funny. I like it. Um, but aside from. Science, yeah. um, we want to talk about your music career, which yeah. was before oh. all of this. Um, yeah. When did this start for you?
2: So, when I was about, um, I, I wasn't uh, a musician, so I didn't have lessons, I didn't go to music lessons or anything. But when I was about, I don't know, 12, 13, I got interested in music. And I, initially, it was um, electronic music. I like bands like OMD and Ultravox oh, yeah. and who around at the time. We're talking, you know, like uh, the end of the 70s, the early 80s. And then, um, and then I went to see uh, Duran Duran with my sister. So the the Seven of the Ragged Tiger tour, whenever that was, 1983 or something, or 1982. And because um, my mum and dad said, she's my younger sister. She can't go on her own. You have right. to go. And I was all around. And, and I loved it. I just thought, this is incredible. I, what, what a thing, you know, I'd just being in the middle of a Duran Duran show. It was in Leeds, actually. And I thought, I want to do that. I want... I love that I want to be in a band like that and so there's a friend of mine up the road who had uh, who could play and so we formed a band um so we'd had this band and made some demo tapes and things and and that's so I taught myself to play but not through any great sense of artistry you know I wanted to create music I just wanted to be in Duran Duran basically I wanted to be (laughs) a band and then and and so we'd done that and then Coincidentally, I was on my way to university when I when I was 18 and um, I'd done my A-levels and a a, a guy, at Darren Wharton from the band Thin Lizzy, the keyboard player from the band Thin Lizzy, moved in down the road and he used to go in the pub where my dad went. And my dad gave him a tape, a demo tape, you know, of my little band that we'd had together. And, and I don't know what the tape was like, but he remembered there's a guy who played keyboards who he thought looked okay up the road. And then when he formed a band, he asked me to audition for that band. Gosh, and um, wow. I wasn't very good, actually, to be honest, but I did. I was geeky enough to know how to programme all the synthesizers and things at the time. <laughs> and I think that's what he actually wanted.
1: But that's so a real, yeah, that's a real what if, isn't it? Yeah. What if your dad hadn't done that? Goodness me.
2: Wand, wandering yes. path. And in, in the end, so I took a year off from going to university. And in that year, we got a record deal. And so, when I was supposed to be at university, I ended up actually in in Los Angeles um, oh, with, nice. at, at Joni Mitchell's house oh, in wow. a studio um, recording an album, which is you know a dream. Mm. So, so, so it was it was one of those, as you said, it was one of those r- random things. A, a guy <laughs> yeah. moving in down the road, yeah. and my dad meeting him in the pub.
1: Gosh, that's extraordinary. And you said it was like a dream, but Dream was the was the song. I mean, the mm. song that's that summed up a whole well, things can only get well, better summed up a whole era, didn't
2: it? That was a band after that. Yes, so th- that yes. band was a band called Dare, which was a rock band. Right. And we made a couple of albums, toured with Jimmy Page and Gary Moore wow. and the band Europe actually, we toured with for a long I time. We had the them. song The Final Cutter. Sure. And then after that, I left that band. And they're still going, by the way, that band, uh, Dare. So what well, if you hadn't left?
0: <laughs> Do you ever think but, about that? The other, you could be in LA.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Different life. Uh, <laughs>
0: different life. Yeah.
2: They never, the, Dare never got huge, right? We we were kind of, we thought we were the old and Bon Jovi, you know, but it never right. quite worked for us. But um, so I left and went to university and then I needed a job. I needed to earn some money. And and I could do a bit of sound engineering, you know, because, uh, again, we go back to the geekiness of being <laughs> a keyboard player. And so I I was a sound engineer for a, a band who hadn't got a deal. And um, that was D-Ream. And then D-Ream got a deal. And they had, I remember really vividly, they had a TV show on something, some local thing in London. And they said, oh, you play keyboards, don't you? And you've got long hair. So can you just stand there and plonk <laughs> away on the hair. keyboard? <laughs> so I accidentally joined See, D-Ream. another
1: one. another had another... that huge... Another moment. I mean, that was a massive hit. Things can only get better. It was like it was like the anthem of the time, because remember, it was all new mm. Labour and it was all cool Britannia. And yeah. it it just felt there was a real sort of air of optimism and, and all of that. And you were kind of you were sort of riding that
2: wave, really, weren't you? It was a remarkable thing because the, the it had been out before that song. And then um in as you said, in nineteen ninety-seven, um the Labour Party asked Peter Cunner, who'd who'd written the song Could we use the song? And he just said, "Yeah," and it kind of snowballed from there. They said, "Oh, would you come and do a couple of the election rallies?" And we said, "Yeah, that would be fun," because, as you say, at the time, it's hard to remember now what a remarkable time that Mm -hmm. was to be in Britain. It was, as you said, it was, it was just a time of optimism. And and I always say, I think you know, it sounds like really. You know, the way politics is now, everybody's it's very divisive and everybody's very proudly left wing or proudly conservative or whatever it is. But at the time, I think I think even John Major, I think, voted for Tony Blair <laughs> in that election. <laughs> we have to remember everybody basically yeah. supported New Labour as it was at the time. Absolutely. And so it was a joyous thing for us. And it wasn't actually massively political. It just felt like we were part of this this tremendously optimistic. Time, oh. as you said, and uh, I can I remember so vividly. We had um, there. Eventually, we'd done so many of these little election rallies and things that they said, "Well, if we get elected, then will you come and perform at the the, the party?" Yeah, but they were very paranoid about it because they didn't want to people to think that they assumed that everyone was going to vote for them. Mm. So it was secret, and we were sat. We we had a little hotel, and we were secretly sat in the hotel watching that election night. And then when it was clear, everyone remembers the the Michael Portillo moments oh, and yes. all those things. Yes. When it was clear that they'd won, we went to the Royal Festival Hall and played Things Gonna Get Better. And that's where all those clips of John Prescott and Neil Kinnock and everybody dancing to the song. <laughs> Tremendously <laughs> embarrassingly. They all come from that that moment. And I I remember it. You know, it's an incredible thing to be a part of. No,
1: absolutely. It's history, really. Do you yeah. still play?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I play a lot and um uh, and then every year, usually I manage to get on stage and play once in public. And it's we we do a charity show every Christmas, and um, we did it at the Royal Albert Hall this year. It was a wonderful thing, and I got to play. I always I kind of invite bands that I used to love or still love, mm. because I kind of want to play. And it's kind of it's sort of the deal. After they agree, I say, "Oh, and by the way, <laughs> if I could just play that song." I'm
0: joining you and, on stage. Yes. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, play...
2: <laughs> It was one of the uh, there's, there's some clips of it actually around on on social media. I got to play with OMD, and I said that OMD oh, were one of those bands, yes, in 1980, 1981. And I got to play "Nola Gay" with with Andy oh, McCluskey. Cool. And 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 there's the grin on my. face, I usually have a big grin on my face, like. But everyone said it's the biggest grin <laughs> anyone's ever seen. I have just sat there playing in "Nola Gay," which is actually Gosh. a it's it's not a hard thing to play, but it's so loud and so exposed that when 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 I was stood there in front of you know whatever it is five thousand people and with Andy McCluskey, one of my childhood heroes, in front of me, I thought maybe I've <laughs> maybe this is a bit nerve wracking. If I just put one wrong note. <laughs> It's going to sound awful.
1: But that's, I think that's so, so true. I get terribly excited at work if we have someone in from, say, like The Cure or Human Leak or ABC yeah. or like you said, OMD, all of these bands. And of course, all our researchers are young. They don't even know who they are. And, and I'm, I'm absolutely fangirling, you know, <laughs> beside yeah. myself with excitement. But it's, isn't the that cure. wonderful?
2: The Cure, another band. We had The Cure on a few years ago, I and I played them. Love Cats. You was... played oh, nice. Love
1: Cats with The yeah. Cure. Oh come yeah. on! Never made. We had New Order. Played oh, New wow. Order. Wow. We had
2: Duran. Duran did it, of course. Um Gosh. So yeah, I, I, it's always those bands. Last year, um, wonderfully, um, Mark Olmond. I didn't play actually, but Mark Holman did it and did "Say Hello, Wade, Goodbye," which a lot of you listeners, if, if they're of our vintage, they'll remember that oh, wonderful absolutely. soft sell song. So we've had some wonderful moments at those shows. Gosh, if you
1: hadn't even done anything else, just doing that, Brian, for goodness' sakes, yeah, it's very cool, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah.
0: I was going to say you, you know, you're kind of a rock star in your own right with the touring, but with all of that, you are anyway. Yes. But, um, <laughs>
2: That's for <weird> you to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, the touring you do, do you do you absolutely love it? Going around I... arenas,
2: you yeah. are like a rock star. You are like a rock star, actually. I, I, I really do. I mean, the the wonderful thing about it is, I mean, I love a lot of the things that I do and but with the live show, it's just it's just me ultimately. So it's 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 what, what do I want to say? What do I want to talk about? Um and and I like that that purity, you know, that it's not television shows and things like that are very different because there's lots of people contributing, they're very complicated things. But there is something about just standing on the stage. Um, as you say, I mean it's I was, no one is more surprised than me that um, I, when when I started doing that, I thought we'd do places, you know, 500 seats and then we went mm-hmm. up to a thousand seats. And and then and we've ended up at places like the O2, you know, where there are 15,000 wow, people. Crazy. There. So it becomes a whole of that. It's not that simple anymore then, you know, you've got, it's it's a rock and roll show with mm. five trucks and 30 crew and things like that. And I do have to pinch myself sometimes because that's what I wanted to do, you know, mm. going back to when I was 14 or 15, the idea that I could have a show with, with my show. With five trucks full of equipment, <laughs> you know, delivering a stage <laughs> with your name on it. <laughs> oh, so yeah, cool. exactly. And it's a
1: spectacle. I mean, you said that you're right. There is a purity there. It's you talking, but the special effects, um, especially at the opening, you know, it's, it, it is really fantastically well done. You know, you, that, that's the thing. You actually feel sometimes that you're you're on the moon. You feel sometimes that you're actually there. You know, in 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 the in the middle of it all. It's 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 terrifically
2: well done. It's great. Oh. Thank you. I mean, I, I and I enjoy that because it's, you know, it's, it's, I have a chance to, it's my imagination. So mm-hmm. in, in the last tour that we did, it was called a, a, a space odyssey, a, 20, a 21st century space odyssey. Um, so I get to imagine these world dream about these worlds and these images and flying over the surface of the moon, like you said, and, and, and standing on alien planets. And then I can work with people to visualize that. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, it, it's great fun. Mm. you know, I've been able to imagine we had spaceships of the future and things like that and that that's just me saying this is cool right I could, yeah. <laughs> can we have so a big cool. spaceship fly over <laughs> and things like that
0: and going back a little bit um with when you first got into tv um are we right in thinking that it was a bit of an accident
2: yeah I mean it went back to um as, as I mentioned it was I, I was just doing physics, basically. So I was I was what's called a postdoc. So I'd done my PhD, and I was working at the time at CERN, at the Large Hadron Collider, and we were building the thing at the time. And um, and th- there were various things, and there were some funding cuts and things like that. And and so I, I became involved in trying to promote science and trying to talk about science and explain why it's valuable. And um, the, the BBC just came down and, and, and interviewed a few postdocs and, and people who were working there. And and then they must have liked the way that I explained something, so I got interviewed again. And then someone at Radio 4, I think it was, said, um, Oh, why don't you make a little programme about it? And then someone at BBC Four, as it was then, I think it was called BBC Knowledge at the time, said, um, do you want to make a little programme about it? And it grew from there. And then I made a couple of things called Horizon. Mm-hmm. And yes. so I, I didn't really try, uh, you know, try to get into television or try to get into radio. Um, I, I thought that I'd done all that stuff. You know, as you said, I'd been mm. in the band. I'd been on top of the pops, which was probably my ultimate ambition. <laughs> and. Uh, with, with the VGs, by the way, I was oh, on some oh, yeah. of the parts with the Vgs and I on. love them. <laughs> and so I, I thought, that's it now. I've done my thing, my stage thing, and now I'm I'm really enjoying doing physics. And then it just kind of crept in, and then I got offered um, a big series called Wonders of the Solar System, mm. which um, in 2009, I think it was 2010, which was a which did really well. And so here I am, but it wasn't planned. I don't think you can. I don't know, but mm, I no. could ask you how you. No, uh, and it's Lorraine, not planned, you it's your career. It's just a
1: series of accidents and being in the right place at the right time and somebody maybe just going, oh, well, let's give that person a try. I think there's always somebody that's um, that will say, like you were saying, you know, the BBC came along and, and somebody saw you and realised, oh, there's something there. You know, yeah. definitely.
0: So it's, it's that, isn't it? But a lot of it's luck. Yeah. A lot of it, yeah, a lot of it, is, it
1: is luck, I think.
2: It really definitely.
0: is. definitely. Um, and you've also got into films a little bit. I know that you worked with Sunshine with Danny Boyle. Yeah, that, have you seen that one I've asked it yes I, I think have. you have it was oh, a while okay. ago no, that was a good film I remember yeah. that. yeah are you kind of the guy that was like can we can we say that can we do that is that is that feasible it, to do yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: On set? Oh, initially there's a story actually because it, it it came from I think the producer Andrew McDonald or Danny uh, had seen uh, me on television what what and this is way way back mm. it was one of the first things that I'd done and I think they thought oh it, it looks interesting. Maybe we can ask him a few questions about the physics and the astronomy. And so they tried to get in touch with me, and they got in touch with my PhD supervisor, who was a professor. At Manchester, and for a while he thought they wanted him.
0: Ooh. Oh, and so they were talking to him for a while, <laughs> and, then, and then
2: they said, "Yeah." And the great thing is that you, you know, you look a bit like what what we envisage or imagine—one of the characters, this young physicist, this young guy who's, who's kind of a bit cool, and he's going to be <laughs> on the spaceship. And at that point, my, you know. 60-year-old PhD supervisor <laughs> went, hang on, you don't want me, do you? You want, you want him. Oh, so
1: brilliant.
2: It was brilliant. Uh, and so, yeah, and I was... It, initially, it was to just talk about the the bits of the science and some of the ideas the about the sun and stars. And then I got more and more involved and ended up um, giving sort of little lectures and talks to the cast. Mm. Um, and the cast is, at the time... Michelle Yeoh was the most famous person in the in yeah. the film, so she was well known. But like Killian Murphy, for example, who's now massive, huge, famous, yes, of but course, wasn't. It was one of his first films. Um, Rose Byrne, who's really famous. Chris Evans, who's, who's now not. Oh yeah, Chris Evans the DJ, but no, Chris no, no, Evans, no, no too no. many Chris Evans. <laughs> not. So, That's you know, right. All these wow, remarkable cast. And, and so I spent quite a lot of time with them, and ended up out. Uh, taking Kill- so killian came to cern with me for example and sat in a few meetings and things and so it was a real sort of immersion in mm. that film and i loved it I, I it was such a wonderful thing and we're doing an event actually in, at the science museum in march people probably find it somewhere on the web where myself and danny are talking about that film oh, great. oh cool again so really um good. yeah so it was it was it was a real introduction into you know and, and danny Subsequently, of course, won the Oscar mm-hmm. for *Slumdog Millionaire*, and uh, you know, so he—I mean, I suppose he was famous anyway at the time, wasn't he? But it, it was an interesting, uh, an interesting experience for me.
1: Absolutely, that film looks like being a springboard for so many people. Mm. Now you mentioned that there was uh, Chris Evans, who, of course, is an actor in *Captain America*. And there's a Chris confusing. Evans who's also a DJ,
0: Brian Cox. <laughs>
1: parallel universe <laughs> there are obviously there's Brian Cox you Dr Brown, your professor yes Brian Cox and then there's Brian Cox who is the Dundonian fantastic actor yeah. um, and we can't have you both in the same room or the universe will explode but we actually have yeah. it's happened hasn't it yeah
2: it was I... uh, yeah I'd met him a couple of times actually but then recently we coincidentally we were booked onto um BBC Breakfast in Manchester mm. and uh we I, it was the most bizarre experience for me because I I went to a hotel in Manchester and they said oh, hello Professor Cox here's you we've got two room keys for you there's two rooms booked and I said no there well there's only me and they went oh they went, oh well okay. it's a mistake then we'll cancel the room and then I, it, in my head it you know I thought no actually it might be the other I know <laughs> we're both gone. Gone. <laughs> it might be his room as well so I said, don't cancel it. And they, then I got into an argument. They said, why? Because there's only one of you. And I said, no, there isn't. There might <laughs> be two That's of you. There's two of you. And they're looking at me going, what do you mean? But because it's, it's you
0: saying there's two of you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if it was no, anyone no. else. Oh, it's brilliant. Horrendously confusing. <laughs> I couldn't make... And, and in the end, the, the person behind the reception, I got my phone out and put a picture of him, of yes. Brian Cox, the yes. actor. Yes. and said, look, there's him as well. Him. <laughs> And the guy behind reception said, I, "I don't watch television. I know. I don't know who either of you are." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, that's so, yeah.
2: fantastic!
1: But you did. You, you you know you've got a lot in common, I'm sure. But um, you've actually met, though. You have you have been hmm. in, in the same space, yeah. occupying the same space in the universe. Yeah, <gasps> mm.
2: and yeah, it was yeah okay. it was several times. <laughs> you can look it up. And we did a, we did a thing together actually. Um, the The Guardian put us together to do a little thing, which was a, a few months ago now which was really fascinating because we ended up talking about the fact that um that acting and science they seem completely different mm. but they're about a lot of it is about exploring the what it means to be human uh, science is about that Science is about trying to understand our place in the universe. And, of course, acting is also about that as well. And so we got into quite a, 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 what I found a really interesting conversation, actually, because he's he's a real inte- intellectual actor. Mm, I don't know if you've, hey you've interviewed so. him. You've oh,
1: seen? yeah, we've, we've met him because yeah. he's from Dundee, you see. Everyone knows each other. He, he supports their own team, though. He supports Dundee yeah. instead of Dundee United. But that's OK. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. But you're right. It's all about yeah. that, isn't it? And he takes what he does incredibly seriously and works really hard at mm. it. Ah. Yeah. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating. Mm. We talked about movies, obviously. Can you watch a sci-fi film? Um, without and, getting annoyed. And without going, oh, for the love of God, that's a load old rubbish, mm. or oh, for goodness sake, what's all that about? Um, can you watch it as a fan?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, sunshine, right? is Which I worked yeah, on is a load yeah. of rubbish but in, in that sense.
1: <laughs> in that it's, sense, I love the film. It's a good
2: film, but in that sense. But yeah, but but I mean, the, at the start, when I got the script, that uh, and Killian does the voiceover at the start, and if you watch the film, he says it's basically our son is dying, and we are on a mission to fix it, and and immediately, you know, I said, well, no, there are two things here. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> hang it, on. It, it isn't really dying at the moment. It's going to be five billion years. It's got plenty of time left. And secondly, if it was, there's nothing we could do about it. It's mm-hmm. a huge thing. You can fit a million Earths inside it. So the whole thing is nonsense. And they said, yeah, but putting that aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apart from that, though. <laughs> but but it's not really about that, of course. It's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful film, I think, mm-hmm. about, about what it means to explore the universe and the, the violence and beauty of the universe. And that's the thing. So, so I love science fiction. I've always loved science fiction. I loved re- reading Arthur C. Clarke when I was younger, and Asimov, and and I've watched everything. and, and I've got my thirteen-year-old my son now. I'm introducing him to things like Space 1999. <gasps> For if goodness' you have a particular sake! Vintage you
1: remember. I remember that. Oh my goodness me! But hang on a minute yeah. now. Think very carefully about this, Professor. Is it Star Trek or is it Star Wars? If you had well, to
2: choose now. Yes. So I am. Um, I, I loved Star Trek: oh, Strange New I'm Worlds. Obsessed. I don't know. If you've seen. We have new a cardboard cutout of
0: Spock in our house. Just yeah, FYI, the
2: <laughs> <a> new Spock.
0: <laughs> no, no, our the old Spock. Sp- oh no, oh no, it has
1: to be Leonard vintage Nima. old Spock, who was my first crush when I was about ten. So that that which was very weird because everybody else liked David Cassidy and the Osmonds, and I liked Mister Spock. I was a strange yeah.
2: child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I fully support that, but. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so, so I now I I think the new one that's on Strange New Worlds I think is it seems to me to be back to that old yes. the thing I loved about Star Trek. It's just an adventure. Mm. It's it's funny. It's it's quite light. It's got some deep points, but it's it's just. And and I found Star Wars recently to be getting darker and darker and darker. And I think people going back to what you said about nineteen ninety seven. I personally want some light oh, in yeah. the world. Absolutely, mm. of course. We and do. so. I'm going Star Trek now uh, after Star Trek Strange New World. It's the right answer.
1: That is (laughs) absolutely the right answer. Oh, I love it. I absolutely, I just love everything about it. I just think, and I love the way the fans saved it. And it gets you questioning, which is the right thing to do to be questioning stuff because Mm. there's big giant things, isn't there? All these huge, giant... well space travel. Yes. Would you want to do that? Would you like to, would you go up if I, you know, if if Richard Branson gave you the call and said, right, you can go up.
2: Would you do that? You know I think I I think I would I wouldn't do something I wouldn't go to Mars because mm. too long know, away that,
1: too far too long away you'd be yeah, yeah I wouldn't want to be
2: in a spacecraft for 18 months or 2 years yeah. or something mm. like that and I think but that idea that you could go and see the earth from space from orbit mm-hmm. I think I would love to do that amazing, I think I've been so lucky I don't know if you Spoken to astronauts, I've been so lucky to speak to a few astronauts, and and whether they're Apollo astronauts or they're space shuttle astronauts or the space station, they all say the same thing, which is it changes your life totally, mm. completely. Mm-hmm. And and I I believe them because they all say it. So I'd I'd like to see that, and, and of course even William Shatner said it recently. He did, didn't, didn't he? Because he
1: went, up, he went on... up. Yeah, of course he did. He yeah. said that it does. It's got to change. If you're up there and you see this little ball and it's so. Vulnerable.
0: Well, we had Tim Peake on, and he said the same. He said, he said, the, said the same, same thing. thing. And, and
1: years ago, um, I interviewed Buzz Aldrin, O'Brien. It was the worst interview I've ever done because I was so it awestruck. I just kept going. Yeah. Oh, you've been to the moon, and he's going, "Yeah." <laughs> ask me a question. <laughs> I was just like looking at him in awe. It, it was it was extraordinary. It was amazing. But yeah, it's got to change you profoundly, don't mm. you think?
2: Yeah. I, actually, to, Buzz, I, I've been really lucky. I just got to know Buzz. And I do sympathize with you because he, he's not the easiest person to interview, but he's wonderful. <laughs> and of course, as you said, he's, he's an icon, a legend. Ah, totally. One of the greats. Totally. But um often he doesn't want to speak about the moon at all. He wants to speak about Mars. He's, he's obsessed.
1: Yeah, he's obsessed by that, isn't he? Yeah.
2: And he and he's and and he did a PhD in um so a lot of the 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 docking, that it's a very complicated docking spacecraft in orbit. And he worked on that so he's a he's a world expert on all bits and, and all these things but you don't see because he's a test pilot well he was a korean war veteran i think he was a you know a military pilot and so so he, he often wants to talk about that stuff, yeah. And so it, you ask him mm. about the moon, and it, he'll say, "No, I don't want to talk about that." He was he, said, no, he, was, he talked
1: a lot about yeah. Mars, and he even had a wee t-shirt on saying, "I'm going to Mars." You know, like he he's he's yeah. yeah, I'm there. You know, and I think you're amazing. You're nearly ninety, and you you've got this. It's that whole kind of like um, curiosity still about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. was quite remarkable. Brian, do you think as a species are we going to be okay? Are we going to be all right? Please you, tell us. No, because you because <laughs> well, if you say it, I will feel reassured. And you are Mr. Optimism as well,
2: which is good. Well, I think we, we have to be, or we we had better be, mm. because I I think, and, and I emphasize nobody knows, but I think that places like this where there are where there is a civilization where there are, and I often say if you think about what each of us everyone that's listening now you're just a collection of atoms that can think right and, and feel yeah. and, and exactly. bring meaning to the universe what a remarkable thing to be
0: yeah
2: and i don't think that's happened in many places if i was to guess i i think you can you can make an argument that even in a galaxy a typical galaxy like the milky way 400 billion suns there might be one place where the atoms have come together to mm. think, and that might be this. So so we, we have to get it right, because if we don't, I'm not convinced there's anyone else in the neighbourhood that's going to take our place. Um, so I think uh, you have to be optimistic. And and that, that goes back to what we were talking about right at the start, actually, about the value of science, the value of talking about these things, the value of astronomy. It gives you, as Carl Sagan said... A perspective. He said astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. That's really important, that. The humbling bit is that we're these tiny specks of dust in a vast universe, but the character-building bit is there might be no more interesting specks of dust than us mm. for billions of light years, potentially, in every direction. That might be true. And so so I hope that we get over our you know current blip, and the differences that we have and the challenges that we face because I'm not sure anybody else is going to do it.
1: No, mm. nobody's going to come save us. No, we, have we should to... all go to space, maybe, <laughs> and, and look at the and, and look at the just world look at the world and, and just see mm. how
2: vulnerable. I think it. last time I was on your show, I think I I think I might have got into a bit of trouble because somebody misquoted it. But I, I said that um, <laughs> I, th- I think it was Boris Boris Johnson was the prime minister at the time, and I said I think he should be sent into space, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, and, and that was how it was reported. <laughs> just yeah. send him off. But I
1: know what you mean. But, I know but is what I you meant you mean. Okay,
2: yes. then bring him back safely. So that he can see the earth from space and I I did say that I think every I would be happy actually to I I think it would be a good idea a good use of money Mm. to send everyone who wants to run a country to just send them into space even if it's one of those as you said on on the Virgin Galactic flight it's just Mm. four or five minutes up in space, so you can see the the thing that you are going to be partly responsible for, Absolutely. and I think you'd come back a better leader.
1: I do. So I with think you. it would yeah. be a good idea. I think it'd be a great it idea. Could be the test. It could be the, the job test. interview. I know, because also when you're up there, there's no borders. There's no this is my bit and that's your bit and let's fight over this bit. Mm. You anyway, know, there's mm. nothing like that. You just see, you just see what it what
0: it is. Mm. There's a
2: famous. It's a, I think it was an astronaut from Saudi Arabia. It's a very famous quote when he was on the space station and said that. When he went on the first orbit, he looked for he, he looked for his town, you know, and then yeah. the second uh, he looked for his country, and then he said by the third or fourth orbit, yeah, you see only Earth.
1: Ah,
0: mm. oh, it's lovely, isn't it? Mm. Really, really good. And um, before we go to our last question, which we do all the time, what is happening with you? We need to know what's going on, where we can see you, where we can hear you.
2: <laughs> well, I've got. Um, so so most of it I can't tell you because we we're record, I'm recording a new thing for the BBC and, Ooh, and uh, I always get into trouble because I always an- I always announce it before right. whoever it is is supposed to announce, <laughs> okay. it, announce it but we are filming we're filming a series this year Excellent. which will be wonderful and um I, I wrote a book on on black holes which um was out just before Christmas and that's a really tried they're the most remarkable Things. I mean, we. I, I suppose everyone's heard of them, um, but you can just say a couple of lines about them. The fact that if, if you look from outside, so you look at a black hole over there somewhere in the universe, then you see a place where time stops from your perspective. And just saying that, you know, the time stops. My brain. Like, uh, Stephen Hawking famously found out that they glow even wow. though they're just mm. space and time. They, they, they're made of space and time. It's one way to think about them. But Stephen Hawking got famous as a physicist mm. in the 1970s for showing they glow like coals in the sky. It's really wow. strange things. So so, so, I, so I, there's, there's a book which has got the, the opaque title of Black Holes.
1: Well done. That must have taken <laughs> oh, quite man. some time to think of that title. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: And, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more live shows. I, I'm I, oh, I'm good. gonna because I love it so much. So I'm gonna do them, but you'll have to wait a few years because I've got to think of something to say.
1: Oh, I don't oh, think I don't, there'll be yeah. any problem with that. <laughs> no, any any
0: problem with that at all. We are gonna end uh, the episode, and we do so by asking guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret, and win mm-hmm. in their life so far. Um, oh. So we can start with uh, fail.
2: Have you got a fail? I don't think you have. Fail. Oh, yeah. Loads. Um, my biggest <laughs> fail. I, I tell you what it is. I've never been able to learn a language oh. and I'm absolutely determined to learn another language. So I failed French uh, badly, at O level as it was then. Um, and and I, and I did German a bit and I did my PhD in Germany and I'm awful oh. at speaking German. So so I really really want to learn a language and and I you know as we said earlier when when I think you said you know I, I couldn't do science i didn't I, I'm mm-hmm. not no good at it I, I always said that about languages and and I don't believe it I think it's because I've not tried hard enough okay. so I, I really want to <coughs> be able to speak a language.
1: Oh, I would love to be mm. able to speak a language properly. I would love if I had a superpower, Brian. I would love it to be that I could speak every single language yeah, in the world. Well. Every single yeah. language. Even one where maybe only a hundred people, you know, in a mm. in a wee tiny place. Just yeah. because, can you imagine all the barriers Isn't that would Is there not some kind down? of
0: device that goes in your ear? and Well, I don't think it exists yet, but it translates well, it for there's
1: you. There's a kind of translator which they used
0: to use on Star Trek. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's where yeah. I'm getting the uni- it from. The universal, <laughs> the universal translator. Hitchhack Skies of the
2: Galaxy. <laughs> yes. The baby
0: Yeah. Fish, yeah.
2: The fish yeah. that you put the
0: in your ear. F- Yeah. <laughs> oh, that
1: would be so cool. Yeah. Right, we have to yeah. start working on that. So that's not a bad fail. No. And, that, and that's
0: something that can be rectified as well, absolutely. Um, What about regret?
2: Regret? Um, I don't. I don't know. I always think about this. It's kind of a deep. It's a deep question, isn't mm. it? Actually, because mm. uh, going back to Star Trek, <laughs> there's a <laughs> there's a wonderful episode of Next Generation, where Picard, uh, Captain Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart's character, mm-hmm. he he regrets something. I think he, he, is an injury. or something. I can't remember what it was, but he regretted it and thought it was stupid. And he got the chance to go back in time and change it, so he changed it. And then he came forward in time again and he was just like the, the lowliest sort of ensign or something oh, on the spacecraft yes. he'd ever become a that. captain. Yes. Because it was a brilliant episode. And it's just a really simple idea. But the the, the things that you fail at and the things that you regret mm. contribute to the person that you are, and it's a sort mm. of an obvious thing to say. So so I always think intellectually, I think you shouldn't have them. Because yeah. Yeah. You don't really know what would have happened had you, you taken yeah, a different what
1: path. If, yeah. What if would have happened, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. What about when? Your oh. biggest win, your biggest sort of thing. You go, yes, thank you very much. I mean, obviously, oh. you've done Top of the Pops and all of that and performing with
2: Duran Duran. Well, it tends <laughs> there to be so those many. little things. There's something <laughs> I was going to say, it <laughs> tends to be those little things, doesn't it? I think it, for me, I don't know about you, but it tends to be those moments. And we should all... Um, recognize there are those magical moments and they can be really simple things but i think um i, I think you, you have to sort of uh, understand how remarkable it is that we exist at all actually mm. and that you have the access to these little moments and you, you said you know it can be it can be a big thing a, a ridiculous thing like playing you know gay with omd on stage which is a ridiculous thing or it can be a tiny little thing it can be the you know Successfully, uh, well, One of the things I'm going to do now is try and hang a picture up on the wall <laughs> and I'll be delighted because <laughs> I'm so useless at DIY <laughs> that if it actually stays up and it's in the right place. That'll and be a it's big not win. Not too far over to one side, That's a win. I will celebrate that as a mm-hmm. great. Win. Take
1: that as a win. Yeah. It's wonderful.
0: Um, thank you so much. That was incredible. It was so lovely oh, to
1: talk you. to you. It really was. And and you, you know, when you start sort of think of yourself in the, the terms that you've talked about, it actually makes you feel so much better. Yeah. And so um, so optimistic for the future when we're bombarded with so much negativity. Um, it's great to hear from from somebody who knows that it's all going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be fine.
2: (laughs) Well, as I said, it it, had better be. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks.